Romans 10, 5-15, New International Version. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your hearts, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe that we are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This morning, I want to tell you all about a period of my life that I am not overly proud of. The year I was in grade seven, the year I spent more or less in a cult, it was a harrowing time for me, filled with battling my friends for dominance only to make up and trade afterwards so that we could battle again. It was a strange time and it was filled with meticulous study of creatures I believed to be mystical and magical. There was 151 of them. Many, I believe, to have powers that if only I could harness, I could be like a master to my peers. And all I had to do to gain that untold strength was to catch them all. This morning, I want to tell you about the year of my life lost forever to Pokemon. Now, obviously, I am kidding a bit with that opening. If you don't know what Pokemon is not a cult. It's a series of video games in which you live in a world with little cute monsters that you can catch and then either trade or battle with your friends with them. You may remember from about four years back, Pokemon Go was all over the news. It's the same series. But when I was first introduced to Pokemon by my friends, it was when the game first hit North American stores at the end of September 1998. Uh, as I mentioned, the year I entered grade 7. And doing some quick math, that means I would have been 12. And that is a fact that is important to have in mind when I tell you of my year spent with Pokemon. Because as many of us here today know firsthand, if there is a thing that 12-year-old boys are exceptionally amazing at, it is taking something and then being a thousand percent dedicated to that thing. 
And so it was that where some of you men listening to this at that age had a series of novels that you were all about, or maybe a TV series or a movie, or others among you who had more friends than I did, maybe had sports or possibly a budding crush of someone of the opposite gender, where you all would have had those things for your 12-year-old self to fixate on. I had Pokemon. Wake up early, Pokemon. Go to school, Pokemon. Often under the desk while Miss Jensen, my teacher for that year, uh, got absolutely crazy because of us. Didn't stop us from playing though. Go home, more Pokemon. I was the first in my entire school to catch all 151 of the little things. An achievement that may mean nothing to almost everybody listening to this, but in my group of friends at that time, oh, that was a big deal. I don't mean to brag, but my standing in the group, it went up significantly as a result. And... This kind of acted like a feedback loop. Higher standing meant that I was more interested in Pokemon, meant I spent more time learning about it, meant I was who first my friends and then others in the school asked questions to when they were unsure about something in the game, which meant I was talking a lot of Pokemon to everyone. Eventually, I would talk about it with everyone I came across, be they a player or not. Many of these people who would then go on and get copies of it themselves. So, while I was joking earlier when I said that Pokemon was a cult, perhaps I'm not joking as much as I think I am, because, well... When I put it like that, it does kind of make it sound like my 7th grade self was a Pokemon evangelist. I kid you not, I lived and breathed it by my memory, and it was a part of my identity and my understanding of the place in the world. And so when I talked to others about it, that enthusiasm for Pokemon, it certainly came out. And perhaps... That is where it is best to stop this short description of my year lost to a video game. After all, by the next grade, I was really into something or someone else, as the case may be, as often happens with young men at that age. And with this story told that I am sure has only increased your opinion of me setting the stage... Instead, I want to now turn to talking about our passage today from the book of Romans, a passage that, I kid you not, hits on a lot of the same points as my very well-spent youth did. Now, to be clear, this passage talks about an awful lot more than what we're going to be talking about today, but what we're going to be spending most of our time focusing on is something that comes out pretty clearly, and you can see this already in verse 8 and continuing on for a few verses after. Uh, the word is near you, Paul said. It is in your heart and on your tongue. Uh, with Christ in your heart, you will talk about what he did with everyone. Nothing too complex about what Paul is saying here. As a Christian that believes in Christ, that has him in our heart, you can also expect to proclaim that belief. Tell it with your mouth. Pretty 
simple. But Paul goes on to expand on that understanding as well. And uh, you can see this expansion uh, the most clearly in how Paul ties these two things together, the heart and the mouth. Uh, on three instances, they come up from verse 8 and those following it. And in every instance, back to back, as if there is some kind of a causal connection at play between these two terms, they are mentioned always in quick succession. Uh, it's like in Paul's understanding, these two things, believing something in your heart first, and then in turn speaking about it, are tied to each other completely, as if even though they are separate actions, believing and speaking, uh, they are also so closely related that to Paul, they don't make much sense to talk about on their own. And Paul's understanding of these things being tied together is one that I suspect a number of us listening to this today know to be true as well, because of course these two things are completely tied up in one another. If you believe something on such a base level that you can say you believe it in your heart, then of course it should be understood that you are most certainly going to talk about that thing to those around you. That thing is a part of you. It is part of how you think and understand the world. You would make less sense as a person if you did not talk about something that important to who you are. Not talking about something that is in your heart would have been like my 12-year-old self not boring my mom with talks about how Bulbasaur was the best starting Pokemon every breakfast for an entire year. It never even occurred to me that I wouldn't talk about something that consumes so much of my waking time. And this close causal connection between the heart and the mouth that Paul drives at here uh, is the understanding that leads us into verses 14 and 15, where Paul essentially spells out that we believers should do in light of this very truth, what we should do in light of this fact, that what is in our hearts will come from our mouth, because how can it not? Here he says, if Christ is in your heart, and as such, you can't help but to tell the world. If he is so ingrained in who you are, like Pokemon to a 12-year-old boy, that you cannot help but share about who he is and what he has done with everyone else, then as your fellow believers in Christ who share that enthusiasm on this one, we should make it as easy as possible for you to go out and do just that for you to share your passion with everyone you can. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but this is Paul's prescription for the church of his day in verses 14 and 15 for all the believers then as well as now. If Christ is in you to the point that you cannot help but spread that news to the world, then it is on all of us to help make sure that happens, to send you out there to get her done. And this, to our credit in the church, we have been largely great at. 
at enabling the evangelists among us to go out there and get her done, enabling the missionaries among us to travel to the corners of the globe to work to share God's kingdom with people, groups no one has even heard of before. And here I think we EMCers deserve a second pat on our backs as well, making this process as simple as possible of going from I just want to share what Jesus did for me to the world to actually now I'm in Paraguay planting a church. That process has been something that we have over our short history as the EMC been spectacularly good at facilitating. So a pat on our backs for that. And you don't believe me on that one? Well, come tell me later that you want to be a missionary and let's see if between our church and the conference, we can't get you out into the mission field in some form on the inside of a year, funding it all. We have done it before, and let's not kid ourselves, it's almost a matter of pride that we can do it again. Do you instead feel that God is calling you to share what he has done in your life here in Canada in a new church plant? Give me six months tops and we can see what we can do. But just because this is something we are good at, in our conference and in our church, getting people from, I want to share with my mouth what Jesus has done in my heart, to I am telling the world of Christ, enabling that pouring out of faith to reach the peoples of the world, just because that is something that we are good at, just as Paul commands us in our passage today, that doesn't mean that there aren't also some things that we should be working on as well. The biggest of which by my figuring, can be found in the answer each of you give to one simple question. Who among you today listening to this feels like you are an evangelist or a missionary? Don't raise your hand, but just answer that question for yourself in your heart right now. I suspect if those listening to this are anything like most of the churches in Canada right now, and in the EMC certainly included, you probably answered no to that question. The question of if you feel like you are an evangelist or a missionary. And the fact that so many of you answered that way with a no, I also guess has played into you having a certain amount of anxiety over everything that I have said up until now today. You may be wondering to yourself if having Jesus in your heart inevitably leads to you wanting to talk about what God has done, what does it say that you don't feel the need to become an evangelist to the world? Does that even mean that you're saved if you don't feel that longing? Know that this is a question that many people ask, especially in any denomination that places an emphasis on outreach as ours historically has. And it's a question that I suspect stems from the fact that in the New Testament, as well as in most books of famous Christians who spread the church over the years, the picture that is painted of what it means to be an evangelist is very two-dimensional. Evangelists are those great heroes of Christianity, we read, that go out into the unknown and share their faith on soapboxes in front of angry mobs only to win them over with their bravado. 
Evangelists are like Peter and Paul, who lay it all on the line for the sake of winning one more soul to the Lord. They are like Billy Graham, who speak to thousands worldwide and don't even bat an eye at it. We like to paint a picture of the history of the church that it was by the work of these great men in front of their multitudes that the church was brought into existence. And while it is true that these people did great things when it came particularly to bringing the faith to new areas of the world, don't ever forget that it is not to great heroes of the faith that Paul is talking in this passage today. No, he's talking instead for the benefit of everyone. Because before you go thinking that you are a defective Christian for not feeling the need to stand in front of throngs of people to share your faith, here's something for you to chew on. In terms of actual numbers of people who came to know who Christ was in their heart, do you know which groups of Christians the Spirit has largely worked through to make that happen? Which groups throughout the history of the church have the biggest impact on its growth? Easily. Number one, two, and three. To the point that there isn't really a comparison It's not the picture that you have in your mind of what a missionary or an evangelist is, but instead it has for the entire history of the church been first family members and then friends and then neighbors. To the best of my knowledge, there has never been a period in the life of the church where this didn't hold true. The spirit working through first family, then friends, and then neighbors, all sharing what was in their hearts, has been responsible for almost the entirety of the growth of the church. Again, this is not me looking down on evangelists or missionaries. These groups have done invaluable work spreading the good news of Christ, especially when it comes to starting churches in areas previously untouched by the gospel. That is what these groups are for, after all. That is what they do, and historically, they do it well. But thankfully for us here today, they are not now, nor have they ever been the main way that Christianity has spread. That honor has always gone to the rest of the church, just living our low-key Christian lives, talking about Jesus to our children, our parents, our siblings, our friends, and our neighbors as the topic comes up. Not because we are trying to be great evangelists, but instead simply because to us, Jesus is like Pokemon to a 12-year-old boy. Because Christ has become such a major part of our heart, of course we will talk about him. We would have to be omitting a huge part of who we are with others, essentially being fake around them to avoid talking about God with them entirely. Spreading the gospel is now, and it has always been, primarily about just being ourselves around other people. And it is here by my estimates that we Christians in the church are called by Paul to really work more to enable those who want to share who they are with others to share. Because if this is how the gospel is mainly communicated between family, then friends, and then neighbors, 
By my reckoning, that means the church and us Christians have an obligation to make sure as little stands as a hindrance of that happening as possible. So here is an assignment that I have for all you listening today that will address just this problem. All too often, we tend to withdraw ourselves as believers into isolated groups away from the rest of the world. This has been a very common thing for evangelicals since about the 1990s. And the history of the Mennonites doing this is a whole lot longer than that, going back hundreds of years. But if how the gospel largely spreads in our towns is through interactions between family, friends, and neighbors— That is exactly the last thing we should be doing. That is painfully obvious. So, here is what I got for you. Get out there. Get involved in your community. More than that, get other believers from among us involved out there as well. Make friends with non-believers. Help fix old squabbles as you come across them. Help those who feel like they have no one in their corner to feel like they in fact do have someone. Show that you care for others legitimately and you will find it easier to share who you are with them in turn because that's how friendship works. Let's make our churches known as the places in our towns that care for the people of our towns. Lay this groundwork, and I suspect those around us will be, and here you have to forgive my metaphor, playing Pokemon with us in no time at all.